Well, that, that was such a good introduction. I can't wait to hear myself. So uh, <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. Now, everybody will need a copy of the notes, and hopefully there are enough for everybody. Um, I am, we are very glad to be here. Um, we, we had a terrific time this morning with the district pastors and leaders, but this is what it's really all about. Because I can preach to preachers, but if I train preachers, I'm not preaching to a handful, I'm preaching to thousands through them. So on the first, at the first Influencers Conference, when um, T.D. Jakes was the speaker, uh, I was on the third row. I was on the state executive, and so we, we were only third row because they had more important people than us. And I'm sitting next to a guy from Papua New Guinea. And I say, I know you. I preached in your church. And he remembered me. And, and then the, the Papua New Guinean sitting next to him, my friend said, this is uh, Daniel. He's the uh, National Youth Alive Director for Papua New Guinea. So I said, hello, Daniel. And he said, don't you remember me? And I said, uh, of course. <laughs> he said, you taught me to preach. It is wonderful. Uh, because everything we, everything we have in life is not ours. Everything we have uh, is God's gift to us. And what are we going to do with it? And if we give it away, it multiplies. If we dig a hole and bury it then it is lost so uh, whatever you, whatever you do train somebody else to do um, a lady in her 70s taught me how to swim she probably saved my life a number of times <laughs> you know a lady in her 70s taught me to play the piano so don't think I'm too old don't think uh, I don't have very much significance in life whatever you can do uh, pass on and train others. Where's that in the Bible? Well, it's 2 Timothy 2 2. When Paul says to Timothy, What you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, teach to faithful men who in turn will teach others. So actually, you teach teachers to teach teachers. Why don't you say that with me? Teach teachers to teach teachers. I hope you didn't spit on anybody when you, when you said that. So I'm just talking right now so you will get used to my voice and hopefully you can understand my English. Uh, is, are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay, so here are the notes and this is uh, how to become a better preacher. We're going to do this in two 50-minute blocks and uh, I promise you that at 9 o'clock I'll be finishing. When I finish, I'm going to put my hands on every one of you and pray that there will be an impartation of my gift upon your life. Uh, you don't when you do that in Christianity, you don't lose, you actually gain. So get ready. Uh, it only takes one seed. We are all the product of one seed, you know, physiologically, you know. Does anybody need me to explain the reproduction process? Are you all aware of that? One seed. Um, one seed 
grows a watermelon vine, one of those little black seeds that you practice spitting over the neighbor's fence. You know, if, if it falls in good ground and is watered, it has the capacity to grow a vine that in turn can produce 10, 20 pumpkin, uh, um, watermelons <laughs> that, you know, are 500,000 times the size, you know, brilliant red fruit with hundreds more seeds. The seed is incredibly powerful. So I pray, my prayer is that tonight, something that I say, something that you hear, something that you see as we read the Bible together will be a seed in your spirit that will produce incredible fruit for the kingdom of God. So put your hand over your heart. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We are nothing without you. You inspired this word that we're going to look at and uh, you inspire the preacher. So Holy Spirit, sit with us, stand by me and Lord, let your word fall into good ground tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If God called you to preach, don't stoop to be a king. Preaching is different to teaching. I'm reading from my notes. I need you to underline the next statement that says, the main goal of teaching is to inform. The main goal of preaching is to transform by bringing the listeners, underline the word, to a decision. When it comes to teaching, here is a bunch of information. When it comes to preaching, you haven't preached unless you've brought somebody to a place where they're going to make a decision. Now that's not necessarily a decision for salvation. It might be a decision to be a, you know, a, a prayer. It might be a decision to be a better father, you know, a, a more caring parent. The, the, the sermon has to have a point, and the point has to bring a decision of some kind. Teaching is more information, but preaching aims at transformation. There are two aspects to preaching, and they are the God factor and the man factor. Now, as Pentecostals, we are more interested in the God factor than the man factor. However, they are both connected and they are both necessary. Uh, if you paddle on one side of the boat, what happens? It goes around in circles. And if you say, well, I, I really don't need to be here tonight because I just trust God when, when I preach. Well, that's okay. You'll go around in circles. I'm serious. You'll limit yourself and you'll probably have about three sermons that you'll preach every three weeks. And uh, you're going nowhere. On the other hand, if all you say is, well, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I've been to Jeremy's class. I now know how to do it. Then what you will be doing is preaching dead sermons. And the problem with dead sermons is they produce dead people. And that produces dead churches. And there are enough of those around. You know, uh, we want this to be a one heart church that's alive and pulsating and throbbing with the life of God. Five people agree with us, okay. So, so here are some contrasts and, and comparisons between the two. The God factor is totally supernatural. Preaching has to have an element of the supernatural in it, that you've heard from God, that you're preaching God's word, that there is something from heaven. But the man factor is that it's done naturally. Somebody's got to speak. 
you know, we, we don't stand here and somehow, you know, uh, mental telepathy or spiritual telepathy, you just get what I'm thinking in my heart. The man or the woman has to speak. Uh, the God factor is that God's word comes into play. But it actually has to be spoken in man's words. And that means God uses the vocabulary I have and my understanding of grammar and the way I speak and my volume and the tone of voice that I use. This is the man factor and it really is important. The Bible is God's word, but it's written in human words. And there's a blend. And it's not either or, it is both. The third thing is that there are invisible dynamics to preaching. Probably the greatest one is the anointing. You can't see the anointing, but you can feel it. Uh, and you know when somebody's anointed. And the sad thing is, you know when they're not anointed as well. And if you're honest, the preacher knows when they're anointed, and they also know when they're not anointed. And it really is unfair and unkind. But, but the, there are visible dynamics, and the visible dynamics include structure, and the style of sermon construction and preaching. From the God factor point of view, uh, preaching is a gift. I cannot give you the gift of preaching. That is God's prerogative. But that preaching gift is now into my field, and this becomes a learned skill. And uh, the question is this, God's given you the gift. Are you growing that gift to become everything you can become. Uh, the God factor means that he's given you something to say. But the man factor is that you've got to know how to say it. Uh, in the God factor, God builds the preacher. But in the man factor, the preacher has to build the sermon. God doesn't send us a sermon. He'll send us a verse, he'll send us a word, an idea, a concept, and then he leaves it to us to develop that. The God factor is the Spirit's anointing, but the man factor is that it has to be preached with energy and enthusiasm. God deliver us from boring preachers. Nudge the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so, so. Uh, how do, you, how do you stop being boring? Then, then you've got to add energy to your sermon. You've got to add enthusiasm to your sermon. And that's not God, that's your choice. Uh, the God factor means that you have to hear from God. The man factor is that you then speak for God. The God factor means that the preacher has to know God. But the man factor is that you've got to know the congregation. So, so if you're speaking to a group of university students, you would speak to them differently uh, to giving an address at an old people's home because the, 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 the congregation is different. You would speak differently to the youth group than what you would to the... That's a worry. Where's my phone? I wonder where it is. I have no idea. The uh, God factor means it brings prayer into the equation, but the man factor is that there has to be preparation. So all some people do is pray, and they don't prepare. Some people prepare, and they don't pray. 
and both of them are going round in circles. So what you need to do is pray and prepare. You need to hear from God, you need to speak for God. I am convinced that this nation's greatest pe preachers are still learning to preach. Now you can tell the person next to you, he really is talking about you. Now, here's, here's the choice. You have to be, you have to determine, not just to be a good preacher, you have to make a choice to be a great preacher. And what does it mean to be a great preacher? It means to be a Bible preacher. It means to be a Jesus preacher. It means that you're a preacher who is full of the Spirit and full of the Word. One of the greatest qualities in life, underline this, is a teachable spirit. If you think you know everything, not even God can help you. Now, we've, we all know people like this. You know, when you say something to them and halfway through the sentence they say, I know. I mean, it's really difficult to even have a conversation with them because they know. Now, if you think you are the world's greatest preacher, I can't help you at all. Uh, but you need to repent. <laughs> if you have a heart, because let me tell you something, the devil loves to feed your ego. God resists the proud. Is that what it says? He stands against the proud man, the proud woman. But he gives grace to the humble. And so uh, uh, I read books on preaching. Why? I want to be a better preacher. If you looked, we won't do this, but in Colossians chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing from prison. He says, I want you to pray for me. Well, what's he what do you think he's going to ask for prayer for? I want the food to improve. I would really like, you know, I want some genuine hamburgers and, and, and spare ribs. that would be really good, you know, as a genuine Jew. So uh, does he pray, I'd like a, a new mattress because this one is shocking. Uh, and maybe I'd like a couple of blankets. In fact, one of, the, one of the letters he says, can you bring the coat because I'm cold. But in Colossians 4, I think in verse 2 and 3, he says, I want you to pray for me so that my preaching may be bold. Now, we think that bold means loud. It doesn't. On your computer, you, you know, control B does what? It bolds the script. It doesn't make it louder. It makes it clearer to see. And so Paul says, I've been preaching for 30 years, but I'm asking that you would pray that my preaching will improve. <laughs> He's in prison. You know, what, what would you think? Because Paul is saying, I'm still growing, I'm still learning, I'm still moving forward. God, give us that attitude. Because if you know everything, you might as well go to heaven now. But if you take the attitude of, hey, you know, I'm still growing, I'm still learning, I'm still developing... I'm still reading, I'm still studying, I'm taking opportunities so I can grow and develop as a person and as a preacher. So uh, let me talk about the little box on the bottom of page one, the prophet and the preacher. God said to Ezekiel, he didn't say he took him, he took him to a valley full of dry bones. He didn't take him to a valley full of skeletons or bodies. He took him to a valley at the end of a battle where the triumphant army 
has desecrated the dead bodies, cut them up, and scattered the members of the body. I mean, that is the ultimate disgrace you would bring upon a, fo a defeated foe. C can you understand that? Armies usually take great care in burying their dead. And then Ezekiel realizes this is Israel that's lost a battle and their bones are scattered. And then God says, can these bones live? The prophet says, well, only, only you know that. Speak to the bones. <laughs> uh, you and I have preached in some cemeteries. Oh, I don't mean, uh, you know, I mean, you know. Uh, we, we've preached in churches that are cemeteries. Is this true? Uh, you know, and you think to yourself, son of man, can these bones live? Well, you need God. What, what happens? The first thing that happens is that the bones come together. And the silence of the graveyard is disturbed by the noise of bones moving. If, if Ezekiel was distressed by realizing Israel's army is being defeated, he is now terrified by the noise. You know, the, the bones are moving. It, it, it is terrifying, petrifying, and the bones become skeletons. Speak to them. Speak to them so that skin and tendon and muscles ca can be added. And now the bones that have become skeletons have become dead bodies. Can these bones live? Speak to, prophesy to the wind. And the breath of God entered into those dead bodies and they stood to their feet, an exceeding great army. Let's liken this to preaching. The dead bones are the ideas that are scattered, that, that tumble through our minds. And we know what we want to say, but how do we say them? And the first thing that has to happen is that there has to be structure. Did you hear what I said? To the structure is added the substance of the content of what you're going to say. And to that comes the breath of the Spirit that turns ideas into a powerful sermon that does great things for God. Now, I have a structure. I've got a skeleton. You can't see it. Uh, good preachers don't boast their structure. They actually, uh, maybe they hide them. A bit like sometimes, you, you know, uh, in, in some places, that iron, that, that uh, steel support there, some places they would, they would cover it for whatever reason. And so my skeleton is covered because to my skeleton is added raw muscle. Excuse me. <laughs> and skin and tendons. And then I've got, I'm alive. I've got breath. Now... If you take away my structure, what happens? I'm now a blob. You know, I might have a lot of life in me, and I might have a lot to say, but I'm like jelly. You know, I, I, I'm just, uh, we have heard blob preachers. You know, you, it was entertaining, and it was lively, and they said good things, but I have no idea where they were going. So you need structure. Now, if you take away my muscles and my tendons and my skin, I am a walking skeleton. And we've all heard walking skeleton preachers. Those that have got a good structure and they've got lots of enthusiasm in life, but they just haven't said anything. There's been no content and you leave hungry. And then we've all heard dead preachers. 
You know, if you take away the spirit of God from a preacher and they've got a great outline and they've got great content, but they have no anointing and no sense of God's presence and they're a dead person preaching dead sermons to dead people in dead churches. But when you put those three things together, when you put the structure and the substance and the spirit God's word becomes powerful in both the voice of the speaker and in the ear of the listener. Okay, top of page two says, it's your day. As you're reading your Bible and your daily devotions, you are attracted to Matthew 6.33. It is amazing how the Bible speaks to us. Is that right? You know, you can be reading something and it jumps out at you. Have you ever had that experience? No other book is like this. It's the Word of God. And it jumps out at you. Sometimes it appears that it is highlighted or it's got illumination. And you say to yourself, I'm going to preach this. Even as those words come out of your mouth, the telephone rings. It's Pauline. She says that Pastor Rob has gone out with the shark fishing, you know, the shark swimming. You know, where, where, where is this? Is that whoop whoop, isn't it? Where, where, where is it? Um, Neptune Island. And she says, he hasn't come back. She said, it's Thursday. And I think you should preach on Sunday. The blood rushes to your head and you say, well, actually, I've just heard from God. I've got the scripture. And so I'm going to do it. So you put the phone down and uh, you make a cup of coffee and you go to the computer and you type out these words that are familiar to us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And you type it out and you think, terrific, wonderful. Introduction, Pastor Robbie's lost and this is me. <laughs> and, and, oh, hmm, okay, um, um, I need to pray. So later that evening, you go back to the computer and uh, you can't get beyond the words that you've typed. And this little gnawing feeling is in your stomach. By Friday, the light that shone out of Matthew 6.33 is fully extinguished. <laughs> On Saturday, you cannot even find Matthew 6 in your Bible. Uh, th there is... There is only one worse feeling in the world than on a Saturday when you know you have to preach the next day and you've got nothing to say. There is one worse feeling than that, and that is on Sunday morning when you get up and you've got to preach in two hours and you have nothing to say. So I'm going to teach you a system. I'm going to teach you a tool that will turn any verse in the Bible to a sermon. Is anybody interested in learning that tool? It's a tool. It's, it's, did it come from heaven? No, I got it out of it. Oh, somebody taught me. I thought he taught me, but I read in a book from 1890, the same system. And then I discovered it was the way that the Greeks put together their, their, their public speaking. So nothing's new under the sun. And if you say, well, don't, should, shouldn't you use something godly? Well, um, the wheel is a good invention. I mean, we still use it, don't we? You know, sometimes, people are, sometimes people are addicted to change. And you've got to have oh, nothing old school. Well, wheels are about as old school as you could get. 
I'm waiting for Ford to bring out, you know, the latest car with square wheels because we don't want anything old school. So I'm going to teach you a system. It will clear your thinking and it will clear your speaking. Are you ready? So here is the text. But seek first his kingdom. Now, uh, one of the keys to this tool is that you read the text again and again and again and again. You actually have to marinate your spirit and your mind in the word of God. Shall I say that to you again? You've got to get the word into your heart. You have to soak yourself in the word. You have to read it maybe five, six, seven, eight times. So there's the text. Now, for all you Bible college students, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Somebody tell me what it means. It means not only are the words inspired, but every word is inspired. Did you hear what I said? Even the little words like in and 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 the first word that this begins with, but. So we believe, say that with me, verbal plenary inspiration. We are the ACC and we believe the word. So what attracts you? What attracts you in this text? What, what strikes you? Oh, I'm now waiting. For, this is now you getting involved. So yes, but. Okay, no, I don't, I don't want you to describe it. Just tell me what interests you. Seek. Seek. First. So you should be writing these on these three lines there. What else? What else strikes you? Kingdom. Ah. The interesting thing here is that his kingdom in the NIV then continues with his righteousness. Uh, so don't stop at the kingdom. You've also got to experience his righteousness. What else strikes you? All things. All what things? All these, now, now I, I need to tell you that uh, Matthew chapter 6 is full of what worries the world. In the world's kingdom, they worry about three things. What are they going to wear? What are they going to eat? Where are they going to live? That's what worries the world. Jesus said, we don't worry about those things. But... We have a different way of living. Somebody, just somebody remind me what I just said in a couple of moments. We got a different way of thinking, a different way of living. Because all those things, you know, the stuff the world worries about, food, clothing, housing, you know, the, all, all these things, all these things will be what? Given to you. We are in a kingdom of grace. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad we're in a kingdom of grace and not a kingdom of reward? 
God is not rewarding us for good behavior. He's blessing us because he's God and he's a God of grace. Hallelujah. So, so what we've done now is we've actually carefully read the verse um, on phones and also messenger. They have predictive texts. You have to be very careful before you press send that it's all there because the predictive text might say something quite different. And in a similar way, we have predictive reading. Our brain predicts what we're going to read. So that's why I say we need to read it slowly and we need to read it repeatedly. And suddenly, these are all interesting thoughts that come to us. Now, the system I'm going to teach you starts by identifying what is the biggest thing on the board. Uh, look at my notes for a moment. Great ideas, how do we shape them together? Ask yourself the question, can I say what I'm going to preach in just one or two words? Please underline the next statement. Great preachers can identify in one or two words what they are preaching about. And we call this one word the subject. Everybody say subject. subject. Now it has to be a big word. Not necessarily a long word. But big in meaning and in concept. The next sentence is really important. It should be a big word because, say these five words with me, big preachers preach big things. You are not convinced by that at all. So we're going to read it again. Big preachers preach big things. What are you preaching on Sunday? Oh, I'm going to preach on the color of the high priest's robe that he wore on the Day of Atonement when he went into the holy place. Now, if you love the Old Testament, I don't want to offend you. But everything in the Old Testament points to somebody. Who does it point to? Jesus. Why preach the picture when you can preach the person? Preach big things. So uh, in, the, in the 12 days I was in the Philippines, you know, I, I, I look at my iPad and there is a photo of Bernice. I kiss it. Many times. Many times. When I arrive home and she's at the airport waiting for me, I say, hi, honey, and I get out my iPad and kiss the picture. <laughs> she's going to think, what sort of weirdo are you? Now, the color of the high priest's robe that he wore on the Day of Atonement when he went into the holy place is significant because it points to Jesus Christ. But now Jesus is here. Don't preach the minors in the Bible. Preach the majors. Don't preach the shadows. Preach the reality. Preach big things. Because sadly, many people preach their hobbies and things that interest them when in actual fact, the world needs Jesus. So preach big things. Why? Because big preachers preach big things. Say it back to me. Come on. Big preachers preach big things. Now look at the next sentence. If the preacher can't tell you in one or two words what they are preaching about, they don't know what they're preaching about. And we have all heard preachers who didn't have a clue what they were preaching about. Oh, sorry, just me. 
Now, the subject establishes, here's the key word, the boundaries of the sermon. What are you preaching about? I'm preaching about faith. I'm preaching about God. I'm preaching about grace. That sets the boundaries. Now, once we've established the boundaries, we now need to select the direction. And to the one-word subject, a few words should be added to that word to clarify the subject. So you then develop the one or two-word subject into a short phrase, and we call that the theme. Everybody say theme. So the one-word subject becomes a short phrase, and the word in the subject, you'll see it in the notes, has to appear in the theme. I'll explain why in a moment. Last paragraph. The next step is to turn the short phrase into a sentence. This builds a platform for the sermon. We call this sentence the key sentence or the launch sentence or the proposition. The most effective key sentence is one that asks a question. Everybody say, ask a question. Or has a numeric value. So uh, here are some examples. How to overcome the enemy or three keys to successful living. The second way to check that your sermon is on track is, are the words in the theme also in the key sentence? Page three. From the key sentence, the main points emerge. These main points are the body of the sermon. They are the answers to the question you asked in the key sentence, or they're statements that develop the sentence with the numerical value. And the main points have to be connected to the key sentence. Now, look at the next paragraph that begins with, how does my little finger move? How can I do this? I can do that because it's connected to my wrist. I can move my wrist because my wrist is connected to my elbow. And I can move my elbow because I've got my shoulder working. My shoulder is directly linked to my brain. That, that's passing it all to make this move. So when we come to preaching, preaching the word of God, God is the brain. God is the big idea. God is the word. We then need the strength of the sermon, which is the subject. It has to be connected to the theme. Everybody goes subject. Theme. Key sentence. What does the key sentence do? It releases the main points. Do you understand that? If that bone is broken, you can't move that. Do you understand? If you haven't made a clear connection between the subject and the theme, your, your, your main points won't work. If you've strained, you know, maybe you, you've been skateboarding on your nine-year-old skateboard and you fell off and broke your wrist, you know, like, like you do. Uh, you know, if your wrist is broken, this doesn't work. And so there is a discipline in ensuring that you build this correctly. Does it matter? Well, it depends if you want to be a good preacher or not. You might think you're a good preacher, but it's not what you think. It's the effectiveness of the word of God that God gives you. And so I'm going to teach you a system. Now ask me how many times I've preached in excess of 10,000. Been doing it for 45, 50 years. In 1992, somebody taught me this. Since then, I've preached more than 7,000 sermons. And I have always, I 
place use this system. Why? Why? It works. That's a good reason. Number two, it's quicker. That means more time for prayer and golf and fishing and, and, and hunting pigs, you know, or whatever pastors do in the bush, you know. Sort of. So it works. It's quicker. It's clearer. It also is more honest to Scripture. Now, that's a good idea, isn't it? And it's easier to follow. So I found a system that works, and now I'm, this, I'm not a slave to this. In our first home, we had a number of bricks left over. And uh, I thought, I'm going to build a little garden bed, you know. And I laid the bricks, and they were the waves of the sea. So we had, we had a good friend in the church, he and his wife, and he was a bricklayer. He came around and laughed. He, he laughed at the point where he rolled on the floor. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'll, I'll, build, I'll come around and I'll build you a barbecue. So he came around. He spent most of the morning laying the foundation. I thought, what a stupid thing to do. I mean, I wanted a barbecue. Oh, I, didn't want, I didn't want a bomb shelter. You know, I want, you know I'm, what, what, what's he doing? What's he doing? And then every brick he laid, he got out this uh, square and this level. I mean, what a waste of time. You can see it's level, you know, because that's the difference between a craftsman and a total amateur. God deliver us from amateurs in the pulpit. You know, if, if you want to learn to preach, find some dummies to practice on. You, you know, you, you get some mannequins from, you know, that they're throwing out. Or, you know, go, go, down to the, go down to the shop and get some Barbie dolls and put them on the end of your bed and preach to them. Not a bad idea. Does anybody, does anybody know CPR? Anybody do CPR? How did you learn this? Mum taught me. <laughs> okay. Who did you practice on? A dummy. A dummy. <laughs> <laughs> find some dummies to practice on you know in, in your college you should have a preaching night when everybody practices on the dummies <laughs> oh, that wasn't very funny at all so now having identified this what we're going to do is we're going to work out the outline from Matthew 6.33 and I think this is on page 3 is that right? so here we go Matthew 3.33 Three, six, thirty-three. So it starts by identifying the big idea. So look at these points that we, we identified. Uh, what's the big idea? What's the biggest thing here on the board? Kingdom. Kingdom. Who said that? <laughs> and your name is? Jason. Dr. Jensen? Like, like you're a medical doctor? Or a... Wow. Now, I've got a little problem with my feet. You are quite right, Dr. Jason. Nothing is bigger than the kingdom. Everything else on here relates to the kingdom. Very good answer. When the preacher identifies the subject, they have to ask themselves, is this big enough to preach about? Why do you ask that? Because big preachers preach big things. So now would you tell me, is this big enough to preach about? I think so. 
We now you have to add some words to the subject to set the direction. And what I like is about this little word, but, is that Jesus is saying, this is the way the world lives. But in the kingdom, it's different. So uh, we're going to make the theme living in the kingdom. This is now getting interesting. It's not rocket science, is it? It's actually really simple. Because the goal of being a preacher is not to show everybody how clever you are. It's to show how wonderful Jesus is. You know, you don't want people going home saying, oh, what a great preacher he is. You want people going home saying, I'm more in love with Jesus than I've ever been. Because if they go home saying, what a great preacher, they're going to come next week for the preacher. What happens when the preacher's on holiday? Well, they're not going to go. Well, they, you know, okay. We now need to ask a question. So how do we turn this living in the kingdom into a question? Sorry? How do you live in the kingdom? Let's just go, how to live in the kingdom. Now, I want you to notice that the word we have used in the subject is also in the theme. The shoulders connected to the elbow. There's strength there. I want you to notice that the theme also appears in the key sentence. So this is also in there. How important is it? It's as important as the bricklayer checking each brick that he lays that it's square. Uh, I'm not very um, manual. I'm not very good with tools. I do know this, that if the tile at that end of the room is two mil out. When you get to the other end of the room, it might be two centimeters out. Anybody building, am I telling you the truth? So if you don't get this right, your sermon is off track. So now we've got this uh, wonderful little little, um, uh, structure. The choice now is whether we write a topical sermon or whether we preach a textual sermon. Nothing wrong with either one. If we were preaching a topical sermon, I would then, we would brainstorm our thinking and we would come up with ideas, you know? So we might say, you live in the kingdom through prayer, or we live in, you live in the kingdom through grace, you live in the kingdom through faith, you live in the kingdom by giving, you, you live in the kingdom by serving, and I've just written, a, which I've never preached, a, sermon, a topical sermon on how to live in the kingdom. But because we were attracted to Matthew 6.33, we're going to get the main points out of the text. That's the difference between a textual and a topical sermon. Do you understand that? We'll talk more about that later tonight. So, uh, so we've dealt with, we, we, we've dealt with the but, and we've dealt with the kingdom. Just a little digression. 
Whenever the Bible uses repetition, it's there for a reason. Say repetition, there's a reason. Repetition, there's a reason. This means if it's his kingdom, there are other kingdoms. There's the kingdom of man. There's the kingdom of the devil. There's the kingdom of money. There's the kingdom of sin. But we are talking about his kingdom. If it says his righteousness, there are other forms of righteousness. There is self-righteousness, religious righteousness, etc. You know, but we are now talking about his righteousness. So we, we've done the but and we've done the kingdom. We now have to deal with this. Seek first. We've got to think about what the word seek means. What's the difference between seeking and looking? It's deliberate. It's an action. But, oh, actually, you can look for something, but if you're seeking, you don't stop till you find it. So, so this is a very, that's a very strong word. What about this? What's first mean? What, what does that mean? Oh, who said that? Very good. Is that your mother, Jason? you live in the kingdom you make the kingdom your priority in a world where all sorts of things are demanding on us hey in the kingdom of God the kingdom has the priority so make the kingdom your priority that is a very very simple statement it's not complex not difficult it's easy to remember it's easy to say and it's easy for you to hear Make the kingdom your priority. Got that. So now we come to a Christianese word. His righteousness. That is a, that's not in the vocabulary of 95% of Australians. Righteousness. I mean, you know, do you get up, you get on the bus to go to work tomorrow and you say to the bus driver, are you uh, walking in righteousness today? And he's going to think, what weirdo church do you go to? So, so, so we have to define what righteousness is. So I, I'm now listening. Tell me, tell me what righteousness is. Right with God. It's actually right standing with God. Being right with God. Um, so, con. If God shone his awesome, overwhelming light on you, exposed all the secrets that not even your pastor's wife knows. <laughs> what did you say? And God grades you. He grades you out of 10. This is God talking. What score would he give you? <laughs> Probably a two. Does anybody think he's a three? Maybe a four. What do you think? You think he's about a five. Is that your son, is it? Is it? <laughs> well, I got some news for you, Con. You're a 10. You are a 10. Because in Christ, we are righteous. Now, now uh, the reason why I picked you, 
was because I understand a little bit about your background. And you see, when you come out of a works-dominated faith, you think you've got to do something to please God. Most Catholics would say, oh, I'm a two or a three or a four, you know, because I've got to please God. And they fail to understand the greatest double transaction that ever happened in history. And that double transaction was this. The one who knew no sin was made sin for us. All of my sin was transferred to the account of Jesus. If you're a banker, well, what, what's the word? It has been, um, sorry, transferred. There's a better word than that, but sorry, deposited. There's a better word than that. Uh, uh, alloca- sorry? Well, it's been put on his account. His righteous imputed, that's the word. My sin was imputed on him. And many people stop there and they don't realize that his righteousness has been imputed to my account. And I am as righteous as Jesus Christ. That sounds blasphemous, but that's grace. And we are saved by grace. And it's a two-sided transaction. Our sin is gone. And we are righteous in Jesus Christ. But then we have to live in that righteousness. You see, we don't do things not to please, not because we're trying to please God. We don't do things because now the righteousness of Jesus Christ has changed us on the inside. And we are free. Stand fast, Galatians 5.1. In the liberty that Christ has set you free. Don't be entangled again by the law, by the bondage of, the, uh, you know, of sin and death. You know, you are, you're a 10 con. Come on, hold your shoulders back. Hold your shoulders back. L- lift. This is 10. It's not just your mother that's saying your tent. It's God the Father. This is Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no. Greek word means zero. There is zero. And the, the tense is not now nor ever. Oh, it's gone. You, you, come on, hold your shoulders back, man. Come on, you know, you know you, you're righteous in Christ by his imputed righteousness. But then we have to live it out. And we live it out not by following laws, but by living in the Spirit. And so we do things not to please God, but because the righteousness of Christ is compelling us to live that way. So so number two will be walk in the kingdoms. Righteousness is too clumsy a word. So now we need a smaller word than righteousness. Give me, give me some other words for righteousness. Sorry? Okay. Okayness. <laughs> okay, good, good word. I, I've never heard that one before, so my vocabulary has increased. Okayness. So, uh, sorry? Walk in his grace. Good answer. Um, who said that? What's your name? Are you related to him? <laughs> Brother and sister. <laughs> ah. so, so, so now, now we've got two P words, which means we are obviously, you know, this is obviously God. So 
Make the kingdom your priority. Walk in the kingdom purity. So now we've done all of this. That little and says this. God hasn't finished yet. There's always an and for you. There's always something more. By the way, there's another and there. I think there are two ands in that verse. Is that right? Yes, there is. Okay. All these things will be given. So what is this talking about? This is, you know, all the stuff, food, clothing, housing, it's all in the package. So um, we, we will then, number three, enjoy the kingdom's, you could have provision, sorry? Promises, another P word, okay. Provision, promises, presence, benefits. Okay, let, let, let's, okay, um, I, 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 I like this one. Prosperity, because now not only do we have three Ps, but we've got rhyming Ps. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is obviously the Holy Spirit is guiding us. We've, we've, got three, we've got three itty words. You know, we've got priority, purity, and prosperity. So um, that's a pretty good sermon. I want you to notice that each of the main points are constructed in a very similar way. Make the kingdom your priority. Walk in the kingdom's purity. Enjoy the kingdom's prosperity. You've got to walk, you've got to, you've got to make, you've got to walk, you've got to enjoy. And many of us want to do the enjoying before we do the walking. And some of us want to do the walking before we do the making. But, but you've got to make the kingdom your priority and then live it out, not in a works thing, but because the Spirit of God is living within you, and then you'll enjoy the kingdom. These statements are short, sharp, easy to remember, and constructed in a similar fashion. So uh, there you go. Now, uh, the sermon has taken shape. I'm now reading from the notes. This is the outline, the skeleton. Each main point is then developed with three vital components. Con, I need you to help me. Can you please clean this board, but leave text, subject, theme, and key sentence uh, there? Can you do that? Great. Thank you. Here are the three vital components, and I want you to read them with me. The three vital com components are, number one, explanation. Everybody say that, explanation. To the explanation, you have illustration, and with the illustration, you then have an application. These make up, yeah, and that bit, yeah, 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 yeah good. And uh, these make up the content of the sermon. However, the hard work has been done. You know where you're going and your motivation to prepare and preach has increased. Now we're going to see if this works with the text out of Acts chapter 2 and 17. You need to know that I have never preached this sermon. This is not one of my sermons. So uh, I only saw this maybe two weeks ago. So if you can find for us Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. Uh, well, well, read it in your, in your pastor's voice for us. In the last days, God says, I'll no, pour no, out... No, no, in the last days. <clears throat> in the last days, God says, no, no, no. I will pour... God says. God says. Oh, uh, 
<laughs> in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. I will. I <laughs> will. Do you want to try? Okay. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. There you go. So here we go. What's the biggest thing in that verse? Don't look at me, look at the verse. What's the biggest thing? My spirit, good answer. There might be something bigger than that. God, that's certainly, okay, so let's put down God. What are you preaching on? God. The first thing you you ask is this, is this big enough to preach about? I think so. God's what? God's what? What's he talking about? No. The last days. So here we go. Theme. God's agenda for the last days. Oh. This has got my interest. Okay, thank you. Let's turn the theme into a question. This is not rocket science. Make it an easy question. Sorry? How long's left? Is that what you said? Okay. So, here we go. God. God's agenda for the last days. How long's left? Do you want to have another try? No. Okay. Sorry? What's going to happen? What is... What voice was that? I heard a voice then. I recognized it. What is what? What is... God's agenda for the last days? Oh. This is interesting, isn't it? You're going to say to me, oh, this is too simple. That's the whole idea. Stop putting square wheels on your car and find something that's easy and moves and works. What are you preaching on Sunday? I'm preaching on God. Well, that's a big subject. What what do you mean? God's agenda for the last days. Well, that interests me. And I'm actually going to tell you what his agenda is for the last days. So, so are you ready? Now we're going to look at the text and we're going to identify what is God's agenda. So, 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 so what's the first thing God's going to do? N- number one, get ready. A global outpouring. God is saying, you ain't seen nothing. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1965. That is uh, 50, 54 years ago this year. Uh, I see, we have seen a lot of stuff, my wife and I. 
you know, saved in our, in our childhood, in, in, in single-digit years, and then baptized in the Holy Spirit in our early teens. Hey, we've seen things happen, we've seen, thing, we've seen things grow, we've seen things expand, but we ain't seen nothing yet. In the last, what's God's agenda? God's agenda, of course, is that a few faithful ones will hold on till he comes. In, there are some churches that, sorry, there are some groups that teach you that. You know, not many are going to get to heaven. We're the faithful ones. Join us and you'll be saved. Uh, by the way, don't have anything to do with those people because they have a small God and a small Jesus and a small vision. Um, am I being hard? No, I'm not. I'm saving you from deception. So God has a, his plan is a global outpouring bigger than what any of us can imagine. What's the second agenda? Have a look at it. Don't look at me. Look at the text. Let the text speak to you. What's going to happen? Children are going to prophesy. Uh, and not only children, what's going to, the young men are going to see visions and, and old men are going to dream dreams. So, so there is uh, number two, uh, get ready. There is a generational revival. Sons and daughters are prophesying. What's the third thing that God's going to do? He says sons and daughters and young and old. What are the young and the old going to do? They're going to see visions and they're going to have dreams and they're going to prophesy. Get ready for the prophetic. Oh, good sermon. I haven't preached this yet. Um, but I showed David all this and he's going to preach it before I do. So I don't know what's going to happen. So, so that's a terrific sermon. I'm serious, that's a terrific sermon. The, these points are great. Have they come from my head? No, they haven't. They've come from the scripture. How did we find it? We, find, we found it by, by identifying such a simple but such a huge subject, God. And then this idea of the last days and this word, God's agenda, you know, gets us all our mind thinking. And, you know, we ask the question, what is the, you know, very simple. But it's connected. Can you see God, 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 agenda, agenda, last days, life. it's all on track. And then we answer the question out of the text. So the text is the focus of the listener. They can see it in the Bible too. Um, there you go. All right. That is an opportune time to finish. Con, would you please clean the board for me? Before we take a break and I see food over there and drink, we'll do a couple of things. The first thing is that, uh, the second thing we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to give me a text, any text out of the Bible, and we will see if this process works. Now, be really smart and say, oh, Genesis 1.12, in the evening and the morning with the fourth day. <laughs> Far too easy. Because what God does today, he's building on yesterday. And what God is doing today, he's getting ready for tomorrow. And what God is doing today is new and fresh and different. So 
if you say so and so begat so and so begat so and so please so uh, pauline you can have the choice you can come up with any text out of the bible uh, you know something that maybe that, that's dear to your heart or whatever okay while she's looking uh, let me tell you what these resources are here is a book called above or else and it's a commentary on ephesians if you're a student you know that uh, the commentaries will always have the text and then the comments on the text but this is the preacher's commentary and it goes one step further it then writes outlines on that text so here we go ephesians 1 15 to 19 four verses and there are one two three four five six sermons on that and if you look you know what what, what have we got up here what, what have we got what's this say ephesians 1 15 to 17 yeah keep going down subject what's, what's below subject theme what's below that key sentence and then we got the main points so so, so there you go this is exactly uh, what i do and so these books are on sale at ten dollars each we've got matthew acts luke galatians ephesians philippians colossians because my goal is to do the new testament but i got a bit bored of the new testament and so i did a couple of books on psalms and so uh, they're ten dollars each the proceeds of this go to our uh, church planting program in the nation of poland uh, since 2007 my wife and i have been investing in poland and we've partnered in the planting of 10 new churches in europe's most unreached nation hidden behind the cloak of old-fashioned catholicism and so uh, please have a look at that we can take your credit card is, is this correct so you know um, you know or we can take cash or we can take coffin bay oysters <laughs> also over there there are a couple of children's books this one is called cyril the short-sighted camel it's the story of christmas told by the camels that the wise men rode we know that the, the wise men rode camels because every christmas card that's ever been printed has the wise men on camels so this is the story of cyril who has this problem with his eyesight here he's saying to herod you know, O King Herod, we found the star. But he's actually looking at the picture of Herod's mother because, please laugh, because that's intended to be humor. So uh, th this is a little fun story, a uh, great gospel story. And uh, the proceeds of that, go that's five bucks. There's another book over there about Daniel in the lion's den told by the five lions whose name were Larry, Lenny, Laurie, and Linus and their girlfriend, Lucy. So uh, they're, they're, uh, that's a little fun story. If you've got primary age children or grandchildren, a uh, great little book to, uh, to buy for them, $5. And this supports our school in Bolivia. So we've got, got a program in the city of Conchabamba. If anybody remembers years ago, there was a lady out of paradise called Julia Love who went to uh, Bolivia and uh, she went to the Ukraine after that, I think, and been around the world. But um, one of her disciples is running that school, that, that church where our school is based. So uh, have a look at those books, please. Have you got the verse? Proverbs 31, verse 26. When she speaks, her words are wise. 
and she gives instructions with kindness. Wow. Okay. Uh, you need to know that Proverbs is one of the most difficult books to <laughs> preach from. <laughs> so, so now we're waiting. There. What, what, let beer be for that. <laughs> <laughs> That was the New Zealand version. <laughs> Have you? No, no, no. That, that's no. I'm happy with what you gave, but but we must be in the wrong version. What what did you say? Twenty six. Okay, so is the kettle on? Is the, are, we, are we doing? Okay, read it to us, please. In the New Living Translation, it says, "When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness." So, what do you think the subject is? She. <laughs> okay. Um, Speaks, communication, wisdom. I think wisdom is one of the points and maybe not the big thing. That's the most common error we make. We actually identify main points and we've got to go back. We're looking, we're missing the forest, the trees, but oh, it's the big thing. Okay, so I think it could be the godly woman or it could be effective communication. Uh, so which one, if you were preaching to women, what do you reckon you'd be preaching on? The godly woman. Maybe if you were preaching to a church, you probably might use on effective communication. Because it's important that not only do you know the word, but you know the people you're talking to. Because if on a Sunday morning, you preach on a godly woman, the moment you say that, the men are switching off. You know, they're now thinking, am I going to miss the Crows game? You know, it starts at 1.15 and... Uh, Da, 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 da. So what, which one should we go? Your choice, it's your verse. Okay, okay, effective communication. So, so we will actually um, make it communication. Now, now that, is, that is a big subject. But you've got to ask yourself, is this worth preaching about? That's what you've got to ask. Okay, so now... Because this is, it's almost a family, you know, situation, you, you could have, uh, the theme could be effective communication. And we will make this effective communication in the family. So... Big subject, I've now chosen a direction, and now the key sentence oh, doesn't ask a question. So, so we will, I, will, I will do something about that in a moment. Um, let, let's read it slowly. What does it say? When she speaks. Th th there's something there. You've you got to speak. 
you can't be silent. Okay. Yep. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration. So, so there is a time to speak. And a what? Oh, that, 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 that's, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. So there is something about time there. So when she speaks, her words, well, then you've got the wisdom. And then you've got what? Uh, instruction. And then it is done with kindness. Oh, wow, this, this has the prospect of a very great sermon. Sorry? We haven't finished yet. We haven't finished. So effective communication in the family is this thing about the when, the time. How can we develop that? Um, it's, knowing, it's knowing when to speak. Knowing when to speak. Don't write anything down yet. Because I have an eraser. And I can rub this out anytime. But if you write it down, you can't. So just hang on. Um, number two is knowing what to say. And this is the wisdom. This is the when. And then the, the instruction, because instruction implies everything we say builds and not breaks. Because you can instruct your kids and break them. And you can instruct your children and build them. Think about this. Whenever God has spoken to you, have you been broken or built? Now, should he break you, he breaks you to build you. Because his motive is always, I'm building, I'm building, I'm building. Every time you stand in that pulpit, encourage. Every time you stand to preach, quit this throwing stuff at the congregation. Repent of that. Build, build, build. Encourage, encourage, encourage. So, so, so I went home this morning after, after the two sessions encouraged. Ask me why. Because what you sow, you reap. So if I encourage you, I get encouraged. If I strengthen you, I get strong. If I condemn you, I'll be condemned myself. It comes back to you. So, so this, this woman, uh, he, 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 she knows what to say, and she's got the right motive. I'm instructing. I'm growing you. Now, you instruct a two-year-old different to the way you instruct a 10-year-old, and you instruct a 10-year-old different to the way you instruct an 18-year-old. God sometimes teaches, teaches, us, teaches us, you know, in simple ways. And then as we grow in him, we, we, he deals with us differently because he's not raising babies. He's developing adult sons and daughters. So having, I'm getting excited about this, but all the time I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> am I going to express it? Uh, knowing, knowing what to do or knowing how 
um, knowing, okay, knowing why we speak. And so number four, number four is knowing how to speak. And that is with kindness. So we've got four keys to effective communication in the family. I need to write that down because it's good. <laughs> what, what do you think of that, honey? Because my wife's done this course before. What, what do you think? We read, when we read a verse, we should read it in as many translations as we can get our hands on. Because if you read it in my um, New International, it, it can bring out something completely different to what we're reading in the New Living. So what does yours say? Uh, mine says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Okay. It's just a bit different. Just slightly different. Um, listen to me carefully. I read my reading from one version. I do that because it helps me mem memorize. If I read from a variety of versions, I won't remember. When I study, I study from as many versions as I have. Now, I like the NIV. Ask me why. Well, two reasons. Uh, number one, it's middle of the road. You've got literal translations, such as the King James, where it's word for word. It's got a flow of language, but sometimes the, the, the literalness finds the meaning difficult. You've then got something like the message or the passion translation, which is the other way, and makes it a dynamic equivalent. Uh, the danger with the dynamic equivalent is that the next generation won't understand it because it uses idioms for a particular generation. But right in the middle is this uh, d uh, version that blends both. There is a second reason, and that is, in the front of the book, it tells us the committee that worked on the translation. And look what it says. It actually says, uh, including, put your glasses on, Anglican... Assemblies of God. Assemblies oh. of God. We had, schol we had scholars working on this. Hey, th this is our book. So repent. <laughs> now, now, you might say, oh, Jeremy, you're very clever on doing this. That may be true. But actually, the tool works. Because to be honest, that's a bit obscure, <laughs> isn't it? In, in one sense, you know. And so the key is we identified that. And then we built a very simple structure. We formed a statement. Uh, we didn't have the number of keys until we'd worked it out. The, we then read it carefully and worked out these. Uh, look, again, the, these sentences are very similar. Knowing when to speak, knowing what to say, knowing why we speak, and knowing how we speak. Very simple, very clear, very similar in its structure. Yes, honey. 
Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is that we have to pray about it all. And if we try and do it of ourselves, okay, I've got this great verse. I can get a sermon out of this. Holy Spirit, help me. Say that again. Holy Spirit, help me. You know, Pentecostals think that the Holy Spirit lives in the church building. We need him, we need him more in our house than we need him in the church. And uh, I need him in my study. So I, I actually... <laughs> When our daughter was small, she had this imaginary friend called Jennifer. Oh, dear me, it was a misery. You'd go to the shops and you had to pick up Jennifer and put her in the trolley. Joanne's in the trolley. you pick up the imaginary friend. And she'll say, no, she's facing the wrong way. No, no, seriously, seriously. I don't have an imaginary friend. I have a very real friend who sits right there. And so I do exactly that. I do exactly that. In actual fact, in some of the bluffing I was doing with you, and you know, well, this is, my spirit is praying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. So in my, in my desk, I've got a thesaurus with every word that's ever been written and a few made-up ones as well. And, uh, and so I can either look in the thesaurus or I can ask the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I said? So you've, we'll talk about this in the next session about prayer and preaching. And this has gone for 80 minutes and I now seriously apologize. So we, we should ha- how long should we have Madam Principal Bible College? Seven... <laughs> Whoa, seven minutes. Okay, run over there right now, buy all those books, eat all those scones, and come back in seven minutes. The most important thing in my life. Do you understand that? So here we go. I'm going to now move from 33 RPM to 76 RPM. Now, if you don't know what that means... Page 44. It wasn't 76, was it? What was it? Thank you. He's older than me, so he remembers. The tool that I'm introducing to you is called the silver hammer. And look at the last sentence in that first paragraph. Clear listening begins with clear hearing. Sorry. My mistake. Clear listening brings clear thinking. Have you ever heard somebody speak who is who is hearing impaired. They struggle, they struggle to pronounce the words because they've never heard them. If you can't hear, you can't speak. If you haven't heard from God, you shouldn't preach. So clear hearing, but then this gives us clear thinking. Clear thinking then enables us to speak clearly. And clear speaking enables clear hearing in the, uh, in the church. This is really important. Don't think with your mouth. We all know people who think as they talk. And as they, uh, as they do that, they can actually say contradictory things in the same sentence. So listen clearly, think clearly, clearly speak clearly, and that will enable people to hear clearly. 
Uh, the next paragraph in summary is this. God gives you the word, a word, a verse, an idea, and then he leaves it up to us. It is totally unfair. God should actually send us a, an email of the word-for-word -word sermon, but he doesn't do that because he's not raising babies or dictation machines. He's raiding ad raising adult sons and daughters. Here are the 10 steps. As my wife said, you begin with prayer. Preaching doesn't begin in my mind, it begins in the mind of God. And the preacher has to preach from the heart of God. I've heard preachers say this. This has been brewing in my spirit for a while. This is a hard word and you need to get ready to hear it. Well, you better duck under the seat because he's going to be throwing stuff at you. Do you know that that is not the heart of God? The heart of God is Isaiah 1.18. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. There is no place in the pulpit for harshness, nor for anger. Uh, get rid of that in your prayer closet. Resolve that there and stand before the people with a heart that reflects the heart of God. You know, don't throw stuff. By the way, I don't mind what you say about me. You can be rude and insulting to me. But if you do that to Benice, I'll smack you. Any husband say, you tell them the truth. Let me tell you that the church is the bride of Christ. And if you smack the bride of Christ, you'd better duck. Because Jesus will get you. Because we are his bride. I am serious about this. So here it is. You know, it says this in the Bible. Whoever destroys the temple of God, I will destroy I think one version says that one version says, beware the church wrecker because God will wreck them. Wow. You know what we should do with church wreckers? We should find an isolated, uninhabited island, take them there and leave them there. Now, now, now you naughty man. So, if, if God destroys those who damage the church, turn it around. If I bless the church... God will bless me. If I encourage the church, God will encourage me. If I strengthen the church, God will strengthen me. If I edify the church, God will edify me. Okay, thank you. I, my wife is saying, stop preaching and get on. So uh, number one, start in prayer. Number two, identify the subject. Underline in the first line, the broad general area of truth. Don't preach the minors, preach the majors. Don't preach the obscure Oh, I read this text and God told me what it meant. Rubbish. He might have told you how to apply it, but he didn't tell you what it meant because it only has one meaning. Should I say that to you again? Make sure your homiletics matches your exegesis. What it means is this. There's only one meaning. There are many applications. So don't come along and say, oh, God told me this. When you say that, it's the end, of the, uh, the end of the discussion. Be bigger than that. Next paragraph says the subjects should be expressed in one or two words. It has to be a big word because big preachers preach big things. It has to be an important word. And here are some examples. God, faith, Jesus, the cross, family, grace, the Holy Spirit, love, missions, prayer, many more. When you've identified the, the subject, you must ask yourself, is this big enough to preach about? Because big preachers preach big things. 
If you preach the small things, you're preaching your hobby horse. Get off your hobby horse and preach Jesus. And the secret of all of this is to keep it simple. Tell me in one word. Select the theme, step three. The theme is the one aspect. By definition, the subjects are broad and general. No one sermon can fully develop the big subject. By selecting the theme, uh, the preacher sets the general direction of the sermon. So tomorrow morning when we get on the plane, uh, we've got another flight to catch in Adelaide to Melbourne. And I'm doing this all day Friday with, with uh, a church there. And uh, when we get on the plane tomorrow, I don't want the pilot to say, it's a good day to fly. Look at the weather. We're just going to take off and see where the wind takes us. <laughs> wow, I've heard preachers say that. I'm not sure where this sermon's going. We'll just let the Spirit lead. Well, why didn't you, five days before, get down on your knees and find out where the Spirit was going to take you, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday? Oh, but God doesn't do it. Of course he does that. Anyway, nonsense. So if you look down the bottom and the theme of the sermon is one phrase, the secret is it's connected. Keep it simple and keep it connected over the page. Step four, construct the key sentence. It must be a simple sentence expressed in as few words as possible. Don't try and show the people how clever you are. Show them how great Jesus is. Effective case sentences either ask a question or they have a numeric value. There are some examples. What is the power of faith? What did Jesus accomplish at the cross? Three keys to healing, four ways to share your faith. Each of those are key sentences. They're not that, they're very simple. This is your servant. It hasn't got to be your master. It's got to be your servant. Keep it simple. Uh, the key sentence makes the aim of the sermon clear. It may be stated sometime. It's not necessarily the title. I will always choose a title that is a bit gripping, a bit more interesting. Uh, but but uh, it may or may not be the title. Number five, develop the main points. There's an example there, a very simple one, out of Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Subject, the harvest, questions about the harvest, four questions about the harvest, and there they are. Do you have a vision for the harvest? Uh, do you have a heart for the harvest? Do you have a grasp of the harvest? Do you have a prayer for the harvest? I want you to look at me for a moment. By the way, each of those points came out of the verse. When Jesus saw the crowd, the harvest begins with a vision. He felt compassion. The harvest grows with a heart for the harvest. Then he says, do you understand? It's a big harvest. It's not a few little people going to make it, but God's got a global plan. Number four, the response is we pray for the harvest that God will raise up laborers. And look at me, please. So if I was preaching that, that sermon, this is how I'd preach it. If you've got a vision for the harvest, I'm now not just preaching with my words, preaching with my hands. Uh, do you have a heart for the harvest? 
you know, you, you actually don't need to be listening to what I'm saying. You, you can actually, do, do you understand? It's a big harvest. And the problem is not the harvest. The problem is the laborers. Do you understand whose harvest it is? Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. And then do you have a prayer for the harvest? At some time tonight, I have looked in every one of your eyes. Because not only do you preach with your words, you preach with your eyes. Never preach to the ceiling. You know? If you give your life to Christ, you can move out of your darkness into light. If you come to Christ, you'll find a place of forgiveness. And I'm inviting you now. Would you raise your hand? And I think to myself, a gecko is about to get saved. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, and then, then I actually, there was a guy we used to listen to every Sunday and he'd preach to that wall and then he would turn over and preach to that wall because somebody must have said, you know, he was frightened of people's faces and so I'll preach to the wall. Well, after a while, I wanted to go home because he, you know, he, wasn't, he obviously wasn't preaching to me. So, so you preach with your eyes, you preach with your hands, you also preach with your voice in the tone, volume, rate, you know, pitch of your voice. And all of it has to match. You know, I'm talking today about the greatness of God because he fills the heavens. So, so what are you hearing? From little things, big things grow. You know, I've got my, I've got my money with, uh, with, with the super, you know, with, with whatever it is. And God is, actually, God is actually in a box. Hey, hey you know, he fills the heavens. Heaven cannot contain him. So uh, when it comes to tone of voice, you know, today I'm going to preach on the joy of God. <laughs> my, my heart is overwhelming with joy. I'm so happy. What are you hearing? You're hearing me say, if you find Jesus, you will have the saddest life you could ever imagine. <laughs> Now, now, one of the great values, if, if you have any opportunity to speak, whether it's a, whether it's a, a communion message, whether it is a, an offering message, whether it's a testimony, whether it's a sermon, whatever it is, ask for an audio or a video recording of what you do and then watch it and listen to it. Because if we have to watch you, you should watch yourself. <laughs> and if we have to listen to you, you've got to listen to yourself. And you will see and hear things and you think, wow, that was good. I like that. And then you'll say, I didn't say that, did I? And maybe while you speak, you have a subconscious action that you're not even aware that you are doing. And, you know, because out of nervousness, you know, the, these strange things happen. And actually, doctor, if somebody's doing this, we would probably put them in a secure facility. <laughs> you know? so, so, so how do you learn that? You learn it by, by watching. Now, if you haven't got the ability to do that, if you haven't got the facility, ask your wife or your husband because they love you. And it's better for them to tell you objectively than for you to hear subjective comments from the congregation. Look at the bottom of page five and underline this. The number of main points may determine the length of the sermon. Be thoughtful about how long you preach. Beginner preachers should preach between 20 and 25 minutes. Oh, but pastor, I can go for an hour. I know you can. But after 25 minutes, I'm going to go up 
close the meeting and we are going to go home. And you can continue. <laughs> oh, but Pastor, I can go longer than this. One of the th in our first year of marriage, uh, we, we, we went to an Italian wedding uh, and they, we, had the, we had lasagna. Now, now, in the 1970s, lasagna was new. And it was a new flavor, new texture, and we enjoyed it. So we go to the shop because we, you know, we got to have some more lasagna. And we buy this little packet with the sauce. We get some mince. And uh, the, the, the packet says, feeds four. We all know when the packet says feeds four, it refers to pigeons. <laughs> How many men understand what I, you know, any, any man's going to tell me this is the truth. Well, this packet really did feed four. So Bernice baked the lasagna. I think, that, is that the correct word? You, you bake a lasagna. And we ate it all. It was wonderful. For a while. <laughs> For several days, I had to pick up my stomach and, and move it while, while I walked. And to be honest, I enjoyed it, but it was too much. And so, ask me how long it was before I ate lasagna again. It was about three or four years, you know. So, so, so a home group leader says to me, oh, pastor, we had revival on Wednesday night. We went to 11.30 and we could have gone longer. And I thought, you stupid man. Because next week, some of them won't come. Not that they didn't enjoy it. You overfed them. Don't overfeed people. Feed them that stimulates their hunger for more. Send them home satisfied. So, so my church, I, in Heights, when I was the pastor there, I would preach 30, 35 minutes. People would say at the end, don't stop, don't stop, keep going. And I would say, get behind me, Satan. Because I want you to come back next week. And if I keep going, then... Okay, it's nine o'clock. There we go. So, uh, look, look, at, look at the last sentence there. This is important. Long sermons may kill the congregation. I'm serious. It will also kill the anointing. Did you hear what I said? You can start in the spirit and end in the flesh. Step six... Step, step six... Develop each main point, explain, illustrate, and apply. Look at that little box. What does it mean? You explain that. How does it work? You illustrate it. What should I do? That's the application. Explanations <coughs> define any words that need defining. You need to understand that to understand Bible words, you don't look in an English dictionary. You need to look in either a Greek or a Hebrew lexicon and uh, do a little bit of research. A lot of those things are available online if you haven't got the books. But you need to understand that, uh, for example, the word redeem. What does it mean? I mean, that's another Christianese word. Can I tell you in 30 seconds what it means? It means to go to the slave market and buy a slave. It means to personally go to the slave market and buy a slave. It means to personally go to the slave market with the intent of buying a slave to set them free. It means to go to the, to the slave market personally with the intent of buying a slave to set them free so they can be your precious possession. And our saviour came to the, market, the slave market of sin and bought us with his own blood. He set us free. And he set us free so that we could be his precious possession. 
Now, I have explained and illustrated together. Because in your mind, you can actually see the slave market. I'm talking in pictures. Jesus never used illustrations. What's the kingdom of heaven like, Jesus? Oh, it's like a sower that went out to sow. An everyday picture. It's like a king who, who went off to get a kingdom and left his servants in charge of the vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like a father who had two sons. He's talking in pictures, pictures, pictures. We speak in words and we use pictures so people can see. So uh, this is what I do. I explain and I illustrate and I explain and I illustrate and I explain and I illustrate until it is crystal clear in the minds of the people. Then I ask the Holy Spirit, show me how we can apply this to our lives. So you explain, you illustrate, you explain, you illustrate, and then you apply. Uh, where's the best source of illustrations? The Bible. If you're preaching a big enough sermon, this book will be full of illustrations. I'm telling you today that God can turn it around. He turned it around from Joseph, from Egypt's prison to Egypt's palace. He turned it around for Ruth, who came back a widow, but then married the farmer. And all that was lost was restored. He turned it around for, uh, for Jonah, who disobeyed in the belly of the whale, but God found him. He turned it around for Peter, who denied his savior, but Jesus came and ministered and life. God turns it around. If, if it's a big enough thing, you'll find it all the way through scripture. You also then draw on illustrations from for life. I read a book called 10,001 Illustrations. I, I, it was true. I found the one illustration that was really good in amongst the 10,000 others because every illustration book is dated except the one that I wrote. It's over there. There's still one left. I got this really good name that nobody's ever thought of, Windows 101. I thought, there it goes, 550 illustrations that I use in my sermons. So uh, we do have, there are three books left. That is quite amazing. We will take some orders. So we can, we can send them and mail them to you, really can. See, Kylie, and we'll actually, we'll cover the postage. Everybody say, isn't that nice of you? There you go. Uh, number, number seven, ask me why. Because we're interested in you. Because we're interested in you. Number seven, uh, determine the conclusion. You write the conclusion before you write the introduction. That's crazy. No, it isn't. Let's suppose you're going to fly from Adelaide to Singapore. Let's suppose you're going to fly from Adelaide to KL. Do you know that you cannot leave Adelaide until you have a clearance to land in KL? Why is that? Because maybe if you haven't got clearance, you're going to end up flying round and round and round. And I've heard sermons like that. They just don't know when to land, you know, until they run out of fuel and crash. <laughs> okay. Uh, determine the conclusion, formulate the introduction. That little box down the bottom works for letters, it works for sermons, it works for thinking. Introduction, 10%. Body, 80%. Conclusion, 10%. Taking off and landing is the important thing in flying. You need to write out your sermon, your, your introduction, conclusion, word for word. So the introduction demands attention. And I don't mean, listen to me. I don't mean that. You demand attention by maybe an illustration you use or, or, or whatever. And then 
the conclusion, you demand response. The arrowhead has to be sharp. You can have the finest arrow, the, the most smooth um, shaft, you can have the finest feathers, but unless the arrowhead is sharp, it will have no impact. So the conclusion, the reason why the conclusion is important is because the object of the sermon is more important than the subject. So if you were preaching on Jesus Christ is Lord, Nothing's more important. Oh, yeah, there is. There's something more important than Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is, Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's the application. That's the conclusion. So it's really important. Step nine, practice and prepare. After preaching more than 10,000 sermons, I practice more than ever. So I will write a sermon on, the fr on a Thursday, preach it on the Friday, preach it again on the Saturday, get up on Sunday morning, preach it again. So I've preached it four times before I preach to the people. That way, instead of the sermon is in my notes, the sermon is in my heart, and I'm de de delivering me, not the sermon. Has anybody ever served in the armed forces? Has anybody ever served in the armed forces? Anybody fired a weapon? If you join the armed services, they'll give you a weapon. But before you can fire it, they'll teach you how to take it apart, put it back together. Take it apart, put it back together. If there was a, a serviceman here and you said to them, how many times did they get you to take the weapon apart and put it back together? They would say, can't remember, too many. They did it so often that I could do it in the dark. In fact, on one occasion, they switched all the lights off, put blindfolds on us and made us do it. Why? Because maybe on some dirty, dark night on a battlefield, you become aware the enemy's coming and the life of your mates depend upon how well your weapon functions. Let me tell you, why do I practice? Why do I prepare? Because the lives of some people may depend upon the word of God that I'm preaching. And so I practice, I practice, I practice because I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to be a great preacher. I want to be an effective preacher. And I want the sermon to become part of me. Okay, number 10, saturate the sermon in prayer. So you pray all the way through the process and you begin it and you end it with prayer. Here are some dynamics to preaching. Number one, the anointing. The anointing is very difficult to define. But everybody knows when the preacher is anointed and everybody knows when the preacher isn't anointed. And now one definition is this. The anointing is the felt presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is on both the preacher and the hearer. We actually need the anointing on the pulpit and we need the anointing in the pew. We need the anointing as the preacher speaks, and we need the anointing as the people hear. Where do you get the anointing from? You might want to write down this address, www.gettingtheanointing.com.tulsa.usa. For about $49.99 plus postage paid, you can get a little bottle of oil made from the very olive trees where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The oil, is the oil is given the fragrance from the rose of Sharon. And uh, every time you preach, you should anoint yourself and you will be anointed. Now, I want to tell you, save your money. 
Uh, because the truth is this, the anointing doesn't come in a bottle. You can't buy it. You've got to get it through two things, faith and prayer. Faith that you've heard from God and that you're called by God. And prayer that makes God your ultimate resource. I can't, there are no magic formulas, nothing that, no, no, you, you can't learn this. You've got to press in and touch God. Out of the anointing comes unction. Unction is the flow of words. Uh, junction, just say junction without the J, unction. It's a good word, isn't it? It's a bit like shrink, you know, unction, unction. What it means is a flow of words. Every one of us has stood up in front of people and stumbled and stuttered. It's like somebody has filled our mouth with sand. And then on other days, we stand up and the word flows out of our mouth like honey. And the difference is unction. Everybody say unction. Where'd you get unction from? This is what I believe. This is what I practice. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize. This is a Pentecostal church. I'm a Pentecostal pastor. And I believe in Acts 2, 4 and the, sp the Spirit of God that, that flows through our lives. This word is the same Greek word that appears in Acts 2, 14 when Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. It's the same word. And that word you can see in the notes there. It's a wonderful word, apothegethamai. Now, if you say that five times, you start to speak in tongues. It means language at the highest level. It doesn't mean baby language. It doesn't mean say ba, 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 aga, ah. Now put them together. Abaga, oh, you've got the tongues. Speak it out, speak it out. Nobody can teach you to speak in tongues. They can teach you to babble, but only God can help give you the language. God enabled them. So here it goes. Peter is now speaking in other tongues, but he's not babbling. The crowd say, this is amazing. We know that that man is an uneducated Galilean fisherman and he's speaking Greek like he was born in Athens. You know, he's uneducated from Galilee and he's speaking the Queen's English as if he studied at Oxford. It is language at the highest level. So then Peter stands up to preach and the same word is used. He hasn't been to my class and I don't understand why he didn't. He, ha he hasn't done the, the silver hammer stuff. But his sermon is full. It's full of scripture. He quotes chunks of the Bible out of jo Joel and chunks out of the Psalms. Where did he get that from? We had his phone. <laughs> Where did he get it from? He didn't have any scrolls. He didn't have a Bible that was printed. But the, the same spirit that enabled him to speak in tongues to God is now enabling him to speak in Aramaic to people. So my logic is this. I need to spend, before I preach in English, I need to spend time with God alone, speaking to God in tongues, and he releases my tongue to speak in English. That's the bottom line. Whenever I think, oh, I missed that, you know, the sermon, it's because I didn't pray. Oh, it was a hard crowd. Oh, is anything too hard for God? Oh, that, 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 they were distracted. Huh. Don't give me the excuses. I got to think to myself, where did I miss this? And I missed it probably in prayer. So I, I dare you, are you preaching this Sunday? 
Okay, I dare you this. I dare you this. I dare you to do this. Get up 30 minutes before you usually do on Sunday morning and spend those 30 minutes in prayer. Not making coffee, not, not you know, on the phone, not Facebook. Switch all that off and spend 30 minutes speaking in other tongues. I'm serious. And you will discover that when you stand up to preach, there will be a flow of words greater than what you've experienced before. That's the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The gift of tongues is not, so, not, not some sort of gimmicky thing that can help us. You know, the, the gift of tongues is meant to be a dynamo in our lives that produces power. Okay, there you go. You can't preach without passion. If you can't laugh, don't preach. God deliver us from sad preachers. Let me tell you, if you can't cry, don't preach. Because the preacher's got to be moved by passion. You've got to be able to laugh. You've got to be able to cry. You've got to be a passionate person. You've got to find what fuels your passion, what fuels your passion, and, fi- and feed, your, feed your passion. The last statement is one of the last things I'm going to say tonight. What do you do when you've got nothing to say? So what do you do on Saturday nights when you've got to preach in the morning and God hasn't illuminated a verse? What do you do when, you, when the well has run dry and you've got nothing to say, but you've still got to say it? Well, this is what I do. I preach Jesus. I will deliberately find an incident from his life and I will preach Jesus. I will exalt Jesus because there's a simple thing Whoever lifts him up, God draws people to himself. So preach Jesus. There are three simple sermon styles. You can see them in your notes. Those sermon styles are one, biographical, two, topical, three, textual. Uh, You follow the same system, but you have a different style. A biography is an incident from their life or their character. A topic is how to have a Christian home. And then you draw up the main points. The text is what we did the sermon, the, the seminar on, a text out of the Bible. On the front page, in the footnote on the front page, is my copyright on these notes and my email address. Here's my invitation. If you have to preach and you're struggling with your outline, send me an email. Say, Jeremy, I'm going to preach on Romans 6.23. I've got these ideas, but it doesn't sort of fit. What do you think? My promise to you is this. The day I read your email is the day I will answer it. Did you hear what I said? The fee is free. So what we want to do is help you. What we want to do is help you. Oh, what's in it for you, Jeremy? I just got a fantastic sermon tonight on effective communication. (laughs) You you know, that sermon on the the end times, I got that in the Philippines. At a a seminar exactly like this, a Filipino pastor said, what about Acts 2.17? And I don't, you know, the gods, I thought, wow, that is a sermon and a half. So what you give away comes back to you. Okay, would you please stand? I want you to put your hands in front of you like this. And I want you to pray these these words. Jesus, it's me. 
I want you to tell him your name and your age. Tell him who you are. You can whisper your age if you're embarrassed. Here I am, it's me, it's Jeremy. I'm 67 years of age. Lord, I will do what you want me to do. And I'll go where you want me to go. The whenever and the whenever and the whatever. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, use me. And if using me is to take an offering message, if using is to do the catering, if, if using is to visit somebody in hospital, Lord, whatever you want me to do, by your grace, I will do it. Lord, I pray now for every one of my friends that, Lord, you will take of my gift and put it upon them. Lord, I pray that you will take of my anointing and put it upon them. I pray that you'll take of the blessing on my life to construct sermons. And Lord, help these people. Help these people. Grow these people. Grow them, Lord. Turn the valley of dry bones into an incredible army for God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you will give them clarity of thought, that you'll touch their mind and their thinking. I pray that you'll give them passionate hearts, Lord, that they will preach Jesus, that they'll preach faith, that they'll preach grace. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the kindness and the hospitality that has been shown to Benice and I. And Lord, I pray as we receive a prophet, then Lord, we receive a prophet's reward. And everything I'd want for, we would want for our church, we pray for you. Uh, we pray for you, Rob, and we pray for you, Pauline. And we speak the blessing and the grace of God that enables you to grow and to serve in the name of Jesus. Lord, as they have natural children, I pray that you'll give them many spiritual children, sons and daughters in this house. Lord, I thank you for this. Bless this place. Come on, lift, lift up your hands right now. Lord, bless one heart. Bless one heart. We speak the blessing of God here. We say to any unrest, go. And we speak peace in this place. The Lord bless you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you peace. We speak prosperity on God's people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray for a harvest of souls. We pray for an army of disciples. We pray, Lord, that you will visit this town in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Please talk to um, Kylie about um, any books. And uh, we came here in 19... 88 for a holiday, and it's taken 31 years to return. So here's the story. If you wait another 31 years, I'm going to be in heaven. So, so there you go. Can we show our appreciation to Pastor Jeremy?